You're listening to the micro version of the Savage Lovecast at savage.love. If you're stuck in a relationship quandary, or if you're looking for sexual harmony, My shoulder hurts. If you missed the top of last week's show, I tore my rotator cuff. My doctor swears he can rebuild me. He has the technology. I will be better than I was before. Better, stronger, faster. But the surgery to rebuild my shoulder was postponed. So instead of getting to enjoy me this week post-surgery and on powerful painkillers, which could have been fun, you get to enjoy me this week in pain, sleep-deprived, and very, very grumpy And it's probably why I'm going to say what I'm about to say, because in addition to my shoulder being impaired, maybe my judgment is impaired, but I'm just going to say it. Can we stop trying to cram hockey players into pride jerseys, please? I don't know how many hockey fans are also Savage Lovecast listeners. Maybe there's some overlap. I'm guessing not a lot. So you're probably not following hockey player pride jersey gate or jersey gazi or whatever we're calling it. But it goes like this. Hockey teams, like so many sports teams have for years now, are hosting Pride Nights, which is fine, I guess. Pride used to be a day, then it was a weekend, then it was a month, and now, just like it's always happy hour somewhere, it's always Pride somewhere, including hockey arenas. Now, I love Pride. I also love Christmas. And one of the things I love about Christmas is that it doesn't last all year. Anyway, entire hockey teams keep being asked to wear pride jerseys on pride nights, and some hockey players don't want to. And why not? Well, I hope you're sitting down, and if you're listening while driving, you might want to pull over for a second. Some hockey players are homophobes, and some hockey players are religious, and so these religious homophobic hockey players are refusing to wear pride jerseys and instantly becoming heroes to right-wing homophobes everywhere. It's not a good look. For us, I mean. For queers, it's not a good look for us. But before we get to why, whose idea was this anyway? I can't find cram Russian hockey players into pride jerseys anywhere in my dog-eared copy of the Protocols of the Elders of West Hollywood. So I'm guessing whoever's making decisions about pride nights at hockey games, it's not a bunch of gay guys sitting around a pool in Palm Springs. The LGBTQI minus ampersand semicolon community didn't take a vote on this. It's team owners and managers, and maybe a lesbian or two in PR or HR, who are doing this. And why are they doing this? Why are they cramming hockey players into pride jerseys? Seattle Times sports columnist Jeff Baker nailed it in a column last week. The Pride Night warm-up jerseys are about some NHL teams giving often marginalized communities an additional sense of pride, Baker writes. He goes on, sure, the NHL's diversity and inclusion efforts are born partly out of a practical, some might say cynical, need to grow the game's exposure. Unfortunately, Baker's insight there, this might be a cynical marketing ploy, comes wrapped in a much larger column excoriating hockey players who refuse to wear pride jerseys for religious reasons. Now, I know it's fashionable to shit all over the marriage equality movement. No, wait, actually, not the marriage equality movement, the marriage equality victory. Fashionable to dismiss it, which means ignoring the lessons the successful strategies that were deployed during the movement for marriage equality. And one of those strategies, a really important one, one that diffused a lot of opposition to marriage equality, we looked religious conservatives in the eye, we went on Christian radio stations, we went to Christian college campuses for debates, and we said, you can still think we're going to hell. You can live in a country where gay couples can get married without having to change your religious beliefs. That is what we told religious conservatives. You don't have to approve. You don't have to come to the wedding. You can still think we're going to hell. You can believe that in your bones. You can believe that. You can continue to believe that so deep in your gut that there isn't a gay fisting top on Pornhub with an arm long enough to reach it and pull it out. We told them that all we really wanted from them was what they were already doing for all the other people that they thought were going to hell. For the Jews and the atheists and the yoga instructors 
and the Catholics if you're Protestant and the Protestants if you're Catholic. There are so many people, we said to them, that you think are going to hell and you are fine with them getting married and being equal under the law. That's what we want too. And that's all. You don't have to come to the pride parade. James Reimer, a goalie for the San Jose Sharks, doesn't want to go to the pride parade. But the pride parade got brought to him. He was asked to wear a pride jersey and refused. He released this statement, which Baker quotes in his column in the Seattle Times. I have no hate in my heart for anyone, and I have always strived to treat everyone that I encounter with respect and kindness. In this specific instance, he's talking about wearing pride jerseys now, I am choosing not to endorse something that is counter to my personal convictions, which are based on the Bible, the highest authority in my life, blah, blah, blah. Not good enough for Seattle Times sports columnist Jeff Baker, who slams Reimer again and again in his column. But you know what? I read that statement, what Reimer said, and I thought, that's good enough for me. Treat everyone with kindness and respect. Not a high bar there. And so long as your definition of respect includes respect for the full civil equality of LGBT people, we are good. You can believe I'm going to hell. And if it turns out you're right, and I am going to hell, okay, God will get me in the end. I will spend eternity in hell. So no need to persecute me and other people like me on earth in the brief time we have to put up with each other. Look, I'm gay and I've been gay for a very long time. And I have to say, zooming out, I do find the prideification of everything all year long a little oppressive, like Christmas carols in September. And you would think that someone like me, someone who didn't grow up in the rainbow panopticon, could use the boost. But it doesn't make me feel seen or even marketed to, which I don't have a problem with. Market to me, please. We are not a market, the activists like to say. We are a movement, false choice. We're both. But pride every day, everywhere, I don't feel marketed to or affirmed. I feel condescended to. And if I'm feeling like all of this is a bit much, a bit forced, a bit cringe, even a bit coercive, I mean, check this out. It was Pride Night at a Blackhawks game this weekend, and the team released a video of head coach Luke Richardson and player Connor Murphy reading a prepared statement. Here's Connor Murphy. I'm proud to celebrate Pride Night with you tonight and welcome our LGBTQ plus community, not just tonight, but every night. I know hockey still has a long way to go, but I, my teammates, coaches, and everyone at the Blackhawks are learning and working every day to make sure every player who wants to play, every fan who wants to love this game, knows they can bring their true self into our locker room and our arena. You know what? It looks exactly like what it sounds like, which is a hostage video. How does the average straight person feel when they watch that or listen to it? And what does the average straight person think of us if it has to be pride everywhere all the time? This is why I don't think it's a good look for us. It makes us look weak, like we need bucking up all the time, everywhere we go, from everyone, that without constant affirmation from complete strangers and soulless corporations and Russian hockey players, we will fall to pieces. And that's not true. We are stronger than that. So why do we want to tell people or convince ourselves that unless the rainbow carpet is rolled out for us, we don't belong? For so long, queer people were made to feel unwelcome wherever we went. So maybe this is a necessary corrective. And there are kids out there who may need to know now that there are people out there in the adult world who are on their side. And with more and more anti-LGBT laws being passed by Republican lawmakers in red states, it's good. It helps to see institutions like the Blackhawks, I guess, siding with us. So have pride nights, I guess. But an institution, an employer, shouldn't require individuals to proactively wear jerseys or record hostage videos. So no more of that, please. No more pride jerseys. No more making heroes out of rainbow refuseniks because that hurts us more than it helps. And it's not how we won the right to marry. And it's not how... We're going to win the fight we're in now. All right, coming up on the Micro Savage Lovecast, tons of your cues, lots of my A's, and joining me on the Magnum that you can subscribe to at savage.love, intimacy coordinator for film and television, Jessica Steinrock is here to explain to me what it is that intimacy coordinators do. All that coming up on today's show. 
This episode is brought to you by the Meridian Trimmer, the very best tool for trimming your body hair. Go to meridiangrooming.com and use the code SAVAGE for an exclusive 15% off. This episode of The Lovecast is brought to you by the good folks at Squarespace. They make it easy to build a beautiful website, blog, or online store. Head on over to squarespace.com savage for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use the offer code SAVAGE to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Hi, Dan. This is a couple calling. I am a cisgender woman, bisexual, and my partner is a cisgender male, straight. And we want to open up our relationship. And one of the ways that we thought we might do that is by joining some of the dating apps We tried Field and we tried Open, which are designed for people in open relationships, but we didn't find much success there. I got a couple of hits and I had a few conversations with some people, but didn't really hit it off with anyone. And my partner didn't get any hits or anything that he was interested in pursuing there. So one of the things we thought was perhaps those sites didn't seem to have the volume of people that some of the traditional sites might have, like Bumble and Hinge. And we thought maybe we just needed to go with one of the traditional sites. Our problem is that we are also parents of a teenager and a young adult who is at university. And our young adult is on all of those traditional popular dating apps, active, very active and using those apps. How do we use those apps in a discreet way, knowing that our kid is also using those apps? And just a little background is neither of the kids know that we are exploring an open relationship. So is it possible for us to use those apps? What's your recommendation on how to do that in a discreet way? Sure, there are more people on Bumble or Hinge, more people for you to look at. That doesn't mean there's more people for you to choose from. Most people on Bumble or Hinge have conventional desires, looking for something conventional, whereas people on a site like Field, which is for non-monogamous people, people in poly or open relationships, kinky people, people seeking thirds, are likelier to be buying what you and your husband are thinking about selling, which is not to say that you can't meet people on vanilla dating apps who might like to have a relationship or a primary partner, might ultimately want to be in a committed, exclusive long-term romantic relationship, but might be willing for right now to have a three-way with the hot couple who approached them unexpectedly on a website where, or on a dating app where they weren't necessarily looking for that. All right. What to do about your kids who are on Bumble and Hinge? Well, I've never been on Bumble or Hinge. Maybe there are ways you can proactively block people in certain age groups or demographics, and you can figure out how to do that to your kids. Maybe that's a blunt instrument and you're not going to successfully prevent your kids from stumbling over your profile, which means you may wind up having to have one of those conversations that kids don't want to have with their parents. Kids don't want to know that their parents are fucking each other. Kids really don't want to know that their parents are fucking other people. But adult children, adult parents, sometimes adult children find things out about their parents that they would rather not know. People have been running into their parents at swingers events forever. People of adult children have run into their parents at BDSM play parties. Adult children, sometimes not even adult adult children, sometimes still minor children, have spotted mom or dad or both making out with someone who isn't mom or dad in a bar or in a park. And then you have to have that awkward conversation. What you don't want is for your kids to stumble over evidence that you're sleeping with somebody else and then logically, you know, make the logical assumption because most relationships are monogamous and you've presented your relationship to your kids up to this point as a monogamous one, make the logical inference that you're cheating or your husband is cheating. 
because that just puts a kid in an impossible position where they feel burdened by having to help the cheating parent or the parent they believe to be cheating keep that secret to protect the marriage, to protect the relationship, to protect their family. And then they feel complicit. They feel like an accomplice in an infidelity. And that's just not fair. And I do think that parents who open their relationship uh, eventually with adult children or even close to adult children need to get out in front of that and tell their children what's going on, particularly if you're going to have other people over to the house or if you're going to have conversations or you're just not good at hiding stuff from your kids. And you know what? No one is really that good at hiding stuff from your kids. Kids are spies. Kids open every drawer. Kids overhear every fucking conversation. Kids spy on their parents. Kids want to know. It's weird. Kids don't want to know. And then they do want to know. They say they don't want to know what mom and dad are up to. But man, they turn over every rock. They pull open every drawer. They do forensic analysis on any computer device, tablet, email account that they can get their hands on. So you might have to tell them. You might have to tell them. Mom and dad are seeing other people together. Nobody's cheating. And you don't need to know more than that. And your kids will nod and say, yeah, we don't want to know more than that. And you're like, all right, we just wanted you to know. And then if the inevitable happens, and the inevitable always happens because it's inevitable, and you run across your kids on Hinge or Bumble or they run across you, block them. Hey, Dan. I have a question for when you have one of your medical experts on the show. One of my kinks is blood play, and I have a specific fantasy that I would like to act on that would involve a quantity of blood that's more than what would be safe to remove from myself or a play partner. So I've been trying to come up with other ideas for how to make this fantasy happen, and I found out that there is a market near me that sells raw pig's blood. I'm excited at the prospect of being able to use this blood in the scene, but I'd like to know what the potential health risks associated with doing so are. The blood is sold to be consumed by humans, but it's intended to be cooked first, and I would be using it raw. I assume it's relatively safe to have the pig's blood in contact with intact skin, but I'm wondering if there are concerns from a transmissible disease or infection perspective with consuming the blood or with the blood getting into my vaginal canal, and if so, what those primary concerns would be. Basically, when it comes down to it, would this likely be any more risky than, say, eating steak tartare or sushi? Well, somebody clearly watched Carrie at an impressionable age. If you want to have a blood play scene involving more blood than you can safely remove from a play partner or yourself during one session, and you're thinking about going with pig's blood, a bucket of pig's blood up on the stage in the lights during prom, hey... Your kink is not my kink, but your kink is freaking me out, actually freaking me out. But your kink is okay. Some people are into blood play. Totally get it. Just weirded out that your potential substitute is pig's blood, which, you know, if a pig is unhealthy and a lot of the pigs that come through the industrial meat production grinder actually are kind of unhealthy, there are pathogens potentially in pig's blood that you wouldn't want getting into your mouth or I'm assuming getting into your vaginal canal either. And so I would encourage you instead to think about stage blood. There's all sorts of commercially available products made for theatrical productions, made for you know exploding blood packets uh, that people wear if they're going to get shot on stage or shot in the movies. There are also recipes online for how to mix up a batch of blood for yourself if you want to make a bunch of blood for your own community theater production of Little Shop of Horrors or whatever it is. And so I would encourage you to explore those options before you go with pig's blood or chicken blood or any other blood product that's for sale at your local butcher shop. They tell you if you're going to cook with pig's blood, if you're going to make certain kinds of sausages, blood sausages, that you have to cook that blood. So. Don't play with raw pig's blood. Also, it should go without saying that raw human blood can itself be present health risks like HIV, hepatitis, other pathogens that can be in a person's blood. So if you're engaging in any sort of blood play 
with a partner, make sure that that partner is healthy and tested, that the risk is worth the potential reward. And I'm all for people being able to take whatever risks they like if their partners are informed and they themselves are informed about the risks they're running. Our bodies are ours to use and the blood inside them, ours to use, ours to use up. But please, please, not safety first, safety always, safety only. People are allowed to take risks. But yeah, obviously there's no way for me to end my answer to your question because I'm just still so freaked out by this question. Congratulations. Not every day after so many decades in this business that somebody can ask a question that leaves me squirming, but you did it. This episode is brought to you by the Meridian Trimmer, my new favorite tool for shaving down there. Meridian offers powerful trimmers that cut through even the coarsest hair, but their trimmers are gentle enough for your privates. You'll enjoy a comfortable shave below the belt with no nicks, cuts, or ingrowns. Meridian trimmers are for men, they're for women, they're for non-binary folks, and they're for any style, whether you prefer a completely bare, neatly trimmed scruff, or a well-rounded bush. This high-quality waterproof trimmer is fitted with a 6,000 RPM motor, safe ceramic blades, and an anti-nick shaving guard. And Meridian has so many happy customers, over 1,000 five-star reviews online. With the Meridian trimmer, you can get your body hair looking just how you like it and feel good and sexy with your fuzz. Get a Meridian trimmer today for the ultimate trimming experience without the pain, discomfort, or awkwardness. Order now and take control of your grooming routine on your own terms. Listeners of the Savage Lovecast get an extra 15% off your order using the coupon code SAVAGE. Go to M-E-R-I-D-I-A-N grooming.com and use the code SAVAGE for an exclusive 15% off. You deserve a better and safer below-the-belt trimming experience. And with Meridian Trimmer, you can get one today. Hey, Dan. I'm in a bit of a moral dilemma. So my husband and I are in an open relationship. A few months ago, I slept with somebody and he was super nice, really affectionate. We ended up texting for a while after that. I moved across the country so we didn't see each other anymore, but we were texting a lot. And yeah, I really enjoyed talking to him. He made me feel super special and, and beautiful and it was awesome. So that's last week I found out that he was married. I knew that he had a daughter who was 11 and he had told me that they were split, um, that his mom helped with childcare. He wasn't wearing a ring when he was with me. So yeah, I didn't, I didn't know that he was married. Maybe I should have asked more questions, but I didn't. I didn't know him that well at the time. And then there weren't, there weren't any signs on his social media, anything like that. So I found out last week and, and pretty much cut him off. You know, I, I, told him how I felt about that and that, you know, it wasn't right. Um, my husband knows all about him. And now my husband knows more about the situation because the guy I was seeing, his wife reached out to my husband on Instagram wanting to know more. You know, he, he told her very little, but just kind of, you know, confirmed that, that me and him were in an open marriage and that he he did know that, you know, me and the other guy were, were talking. So I had decided not to not to get involved anymore we both kind of stopped talking to to each of them um, he you know my husband barely talked to her but she sent me an email this morning wanting to talk and my you know my instinct is to not engage and, and not get involved anymore it's you know it's not my business i don't want to get involved any more than i already have at the same time i feel really bad i like i i feel terrible for her I, you know, the, the girl code for me is pretty strong. And I, I do like want her to know the truth uh, because I would want to know the truth um, because I know he's probably lying to her still. But at the same time, I don't want to get more involved than I already have. And, you know, whether I should or not, I do feel some sympathy for him as well. You know, he said their relationship isn't good. And I do feel he's genuine to some extent. Obviously, he's a liar, but yeah, I don't know what to do. I, should I just ignore her? Should I engage and, and, and tell her some more of the truth? Would it just kind of hurt the relationship more? I'm thinking about their kid and they, you know, if they could just stay together for her. Obviously, this is very important to this person and I feel terrible. I don't know what to do. You can tell this woman 
what happened in a single text message. I met your husband. He led me to believe that he was separated or single, but a parent. And we fucked. I'm in an open relationship. Please stop reaching out to my husband. That's all you need to know. There's nothing that you need to unpack or process with this person at any length at all. The truth that you want to share with them about what was going on, easily shared in a single three or four sentence text message. And then you can block her number and then you can block her on Instagram and you can ask her before you block her. You can tell her that you're going to block her and you can ask her not to keep reaching out to you. You're sorry that you were involved in this deceit and this infidelity, but you're not responsible for her husband's actions and you don't want to be drawn into some toxic conflict or process that they need to work through. This is about them. This is a you problem, you two, not an us problem, me and my husband. All right. I do want to say, you asked me what I think about this. I think complicated things. Here in the Savage Lovecast Cinematic Universe, people who are doing what they need to do to stay married and stay sane exist. Some people who are married, have kids, conclude quite reasonably that cheating is the least worst option for all involved. And those people who are out there doing what they need to do in order to stay married and stay sane, of course, they're going to wind up telling lies to their spouses. And people look at that and think, oh, that's terrible. Anybody who would tell that kind of lie is terrible. Well, sometimes people have been married for a decade or more and the relationship has been sexless for a decade or more and they've done everything everyone tells that person to do. They've talked about it with their spouse. They've gone into couples counseling. They've worked on their relationship. They've tried to fix the sex, tried to reconnect, and it hasn't worked. And they are economically interdependent and they have kids together and it's not always the spouse who wants to cheat who's the one who's being supported by the other. Sometimes it's the reverse. And what do you do at a moment like that? What do you do in a situation like that? I think it's complicated. I think that you can demonstrate your loyalty to someone with something other than your dick or your pussy. And sometimes you stay and you just resign yourself to the marriage as it is. And then you do what you need to do to stay married and stay sane. And you're spouse is presumably doing the same thing. Maybe what your spouse needs to do to stay married and stay sane is stop fucking you because they didn't want to fuck you ever or don't want to fuck you anymore. And that's the choice they made. Of course, we don't know what's going on in this marriage, but it's just, it's possible that that's what was going on in this marriage. When somebody does what they need to do in order to stay married and stay sane, that requires some lies of omission or commission with the spouse that they are cheating on. Don't lie to the other people though. The mistake this guy made was lying to you. He obtained in a sense your consent to sleep with him under false pretenses. He allowed you to believe or led you to believe that he was separated or single or divorced and knowing or assuming that you wouldn't have wanted to fuck him if it meant participating in an infidelity, a betrayal of some other woman, the sister code, sitting at home. You wouldn't want to be a party to that. And he either knew that because you told him that or assumed that because that's how most women feel and actively misled you, which was not okay. And you were right to lay into him, but you don't have to be drawn into this conflict in their marriage. These people, except for the one time, two times you fucked this guy are strangers to you and they've moved the fuck away. And you were texting a little bit. Put all that in an email or text, send it to this guy's wife, and then tap out. And if they won't leave you guys out of it, if she keeps coming at you, if she's displacing the anger she feels about what her husband did by being angry at you, or they're just toxic, messy queens who want to draw people into their drama for the fucking fun of it, you don't have to participate in that. You don't have to be drafted into this conflict. Whether it's conflict, conflict, or conflict nonsense, you don't have to be drawn into it. And you can do what it is that you say that you want to do. Tell this woman the truth. Quickly, simply, one text message, and then you're out. This show is sponsored by Squarespace. If you're setting up a business or getting a creative or political project off the ground, you will find an indispensable partner in Squarespace. They make it easy to put together a good-looking website, blog, or online store. They have everything you need, domains, marketing tools, analytics, e-commerce. 
They have great search engine optimization tools. So every Squarespace website and online store comes with a suite of integrated features and useful guides that help raise your site higher on search results. Would you know how to do that? I don't know how to do that. Squarespace empowers millions of creative types and entrepreneurs by providing them with the tools they need to bring their smart ideas to life. You can put together video ads, launch online courses, put out a virtual tip jar, all the tools you need to monetize your website and reach your goals are there waiting for you. You'll create powerful email content that matches your website with your existing products, blog posts, and logo, so your messaging is consistent and effective. And what's more, everything you make with Squarespace translates perfectly to mobile. Head on over to squarespace.com savage for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use the offer code savage to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. That's squarespace.com slash savage and use the offer code savage. Hey, Dan. I'm a man in my 40s living in a very gay, positive West Coast city. And I, the problem I have with the apps is that I meet so many men in their mid-30s to mid-40s who have never been in a relationship. And the only way they have met men has been through apps and just for casual hookups. So as I meet these guys and I try to connect with them, it, it's really uncomfortable they don't know how to do it and they're afraid so all they know how to do is here's my address here's my dick pic here's my outtakes what are you into and they don't know how to carry the conversation beyond that to the degree that i never hooked up with a bunch of them because they just don't know how to act so as much as i think the app served the purpose at a time when it was needed i think now it's a disservice to the gay community specifically because i know so many single, good-looking, kind of relatively well-put men who want bonds, who want relationships, and are all single, and they're all complaining about how tough it is to meet people. I'm a good-looking guy. I work out. I get plenty of attention. So it's not like I'm some undesirable person, but I think people would be foolish to ignore that there's this very negative impact to us only connecting on the level where here's my dick, here's my ass, here's my address, bye. That's fun every now and then, and I've done it, but that's not how I want to connect every time. So I just wanted to throw that out. I'm not hating on the apps, but they are a bit of a disservice. There's a lot of lonely gay men, and these apps are only making them lonelier. And the only way they know how to connect is, here's my body, use it, and then forget about it. Here's my dick, here's my ass. That didn't start with the apps. I'm old enough to remember when guys made the exact same complaints. Uh, about bathhouses and bars, that people went to these places in public sex environments and they were very dehumanizing, meaningless sex, people had tricks, people couldn't connect, people didn't have relationships, uh, just one man after another because there was this endless buffet of dicks and ass spread out before you, not on the apps, not where all the torsos are now, but in the bars, gay bars, meat markets, they used to call them. They called them meat markets when they were for straight singles, but they were very meaty meat markets for the gays and the bathhouses and certain public sex environments. Larry Kramer wrote a whole and very amazing book about it, a novel called Faggots, where he complained that because there was so much choice, because what the gay revolution had, you know, the gay liberation movement in the 70s had created uh, was this buffet of dick and ass. And then nobody could settle down. Nobody could find love under those circumstances with so much available to them. There's this concept, I think in social psychology called the paradox of choice. And it's when you have too many choices rather than feeling empowered by that, rather than feeling like, oh, I get you know to pick the one thing I want from all of these different options. And that being a good feeling that it induces a kind of panic and insecurity. There's famously a study about the paradox of choice where they send people into a supermarket to get mustard and there's three different kinds of mustard and people pick one and leave and then they send people into a supermarket to get mustard and there's 80 different kinds of mustard and people just look at all of those options and are paralyzed and don't pick a jar of mustard and leave. They replicated, I think, that study with jam, with different kinds of jams and jellies. And so, yeah, I don't want to downplay how the apps have really made that paradox of choice problem worse for gay men because we're so good at negotiating around sex, finding sex, because gay men are men and there's a kind of hypersexuality that we drift 
towards or are prone to. But in addition to being old enough to remember a time when people made the exact same complaints that you're making about the apps, about bars, bathhouses, public sex environments, I'm old enough to know and have known so many couples, you know, back in the day, in the 80s and 90s, who met people in long-term committed, loving, stable relationships, who met in a bathhouse, who met sleazy, who met, you know, cruising, picked each other up on a sidewalk, had sex in an alley, and then both were wandering toward the same L-stop afterwards. This sounds weirdly specific, like it's something that happened to me and I'm just making this up. This is not something that happened to me. And then wound up getting into a conversation and getting into a relationship that lasted for the rest of their lives. And maybe that's what's missing from some gay men now about the apps, is that there's this transactional nature to it that has just accelerated the process to such an extent that there, there aren't those moments. You know, if you order somebody up on an app and they show up at your door and they've seen your whole pick and they just come in, fuck you and leave in the movie bros that came out recently, the Billy Eichner movie, they walked you through an entire grinder hookup that was, I think really representative of the, the awkwardness and how that can be dehumanizing. And what was beautiful about the scene was actually these were very two very human people who were just didn't have enough time together to negotiate what they were doing to get a feel for each other. And maybe that's what the apps are making harder for gay men. You know, if you're in a bathhouse and you're trying to pick somebody up, you're going to be negotiating each other a little bit. There will be some interactions that have to happen in person about, you know, who's going to fuck who and what's going to happen and what you both want. And you get a sense like th there is some chemistry that kicks into gear there, or you begin to communicate verbally or non-verbally and something snaps, something clicks. And if you do that all over your phone, maybe there's not that same opportunity for something to click where even if you met in the bathhouse, you get this feel that maybe this is a person you'd want to see again or see outside that bathhouse. So yeah, there is an epidemic of gay loneliness right now. There's also an epidemic of straight loneliness and straight people aren't on the same sorts of hookup apps that gay men are and behaving in the same way. So this could be a culture-wide problem that is not specific to gay sex cultures or hookup apps like Grindr. But we have to push back against it. If what you want is a relationship, if what a lot of the people that you know who are good looking and have it together and having a hard time forming relationships want relationships, get into therapy. You say you know a bunch of like hot single together guys and yet you can't find a boyfriend on the app. Well, why aren't you dating any of your hot single gay male friends that you know not through the apps, that you know socially? Maybe you need to push yourself not off the apps entirely because you never know who you might meet, but out of your comfort zone. I do think one of the things the apps are doing, one of the ways they're distorting, you know, distorting, creating new dynamics, everything's new, everything's a distortion, are they're sort of separating the world into the people that you know socially and the people that you fuck. And the people you know socially through work or volunteering or just your social circles, your friend groups, that that is separate from the people you fuck who come from apps. What happens when you see one of your friends on the apps? If you haven't flirted with each other at the Thanksgiving Friendsgiving party and you see each other in the app, is that an opportunity to flirt with somebody that you already know socially? I think it is. And you should take that risk and push yourself outside your, I don't want to call it a comfort zone because you seem discomforted by the impact the apps are having on you. Push yourself outside your discomfort zone and take some risks and then model that risk-taking, not sexual risk-taking, like my ass is up, taking in non-loads, let yourself into my apartment. Risk-taking emotionally, making yourself vulnerable, asking somebody out or somebody came over and fucked you and you clicked and it felt great and the chemistry was right. Risk the rejection that comes with saying to that person, I'd love to hook up with you again. I'd love to see you again. Hell, I'd even like to have dinner with you. And if they say no, all right. Rinse and repeat until somebody says yes. 2023, we're in you. Not too deep in you, but in you. Business owners, you're not so deep into 2023. 
that you can't still level up your business and set your year up for even more success. Get ahead of the competition or just beat your own personal business best by using stamps.com to mail and ship. Stamps.com lets you print your own postage and shipping labels right from your home or office. It's ready to go in minutes so you can get back to running your business sooner. Postage rates just increased again. Luckily, Stamps.com has the best discounts in the industry with rates you literally can't find anywhere else, like up to 84% USPS and UPS. Plus, Stamps.com automatically tells you your cheapest and fastest shipping options. For 25 years, Stamps.com has been indispensable for over 1 million businesses. Get access to the USPS and UPS shipping services you need to run your business right from your computer anytime, day or night. No lines, no traffic, no waiting. And if you sell products online, Stamps.com seamlessly connects with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Use Stamps.com to print postage wherever you do business. All you need is a computer and printer. They even send you a free scale so you'll have everything you need to get started. And if you need a package pickup, you can easily schedule one through your Stamps.com dashboard. Set your business up for success in 2023 by getting started with Stamps.com today. Sign up with promo code SAVAGE for a special offer that includes a four-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. Just go to stamps.com, click on the microphone at the top of the page, and enter code SAVAGE. Let them know the Lovecast sent you. Stamps.com, click on the mic, enter code SAVAGE. Hi, Dan, 34-year-old lesbian calling from Melbourne, Australia. I have a relationship question. I have um, a new girlfriend, and it's going really well, but I don't want to make the same mistakes as my last two girlfriends, and I'm not sure what the mistakes I made with them were. Basically, I broke up with both of them after three to four years one after the other. And both of them did not take it well. One of them stalked me, the other harassed me. It was like a whole thing. And I'm trying to recognize what I did in these situations to make sure it doesn't happen again. I'm starting to think it's that I'm so, I pride myself on being very non-judgmental to my partners. So like if they're feeling a certain way, if they're moody, if their moods are all over the place, I'm really happy to listen to them, sit with them, validate them. But I'm wondering if I almost make them so dependent on me that once we break up, they can't handle the fact that they've lost my emotional reserves and they behave really badly. I don't want to create that again in my new relationship. And I don't know where the line is because if her moods aren't consistent, I I don't want to just tell her off and tell her to grow up. But at the same time, I don't want to create another dependent on me. I don't know where the line is. I don't know what to do about this. If you have any insight, I'd really appreciate it. It's a balancing act, knowing when to validate, when to just listen without criticizing or validating, and when to push back. Nobody's moods are consistent. Everybody is a basket case. And one of the things we want or need from, and I think sometimes I have a right to expect from our romantic partners and our committed romantic relationships is a certain degree of indulgence and a certain kind of emotional intelligence on our partner's behalves and on our behalf when we're supporting our partners about knowing when to push back, when to offer just an ear or even unqualified support and when to pick something apart, when to tell somebody that they're being unfair or irrational or unkind and not shut them down, but hold them to account. That's something that our romantic partners help us do. So it's not about knowing the line. It's about knowing what the right time is. You know, when, if a partner is devastated and upset, they lost a job or something went, you know, tits up for some reason and they are, at fault or partly at fault when they're in the throes of, you know, they're sobbing on your shoulder. That's not the time to walk them through their responsibility or not complicity. That's the wrong word, but they're what what they may have done wrong that contributed to how unhappy they are at this moment. Sometimes you just got to be supportive. And then when they're in a little better place about it and you need to help them 
you want to help them see so that this doesn't, they don't set themselves up like this again. So they don't engage in the same sort of unconscious self-sabotage again. All right. There's a time. There's a time. And everybody knows this because it's true of ourselves that we know when we just need somebody's unqualified support. And we know when we're able to take in when we're being more reflective and a little calmer and able to take in a little outside input and observation about our own behavior. I think that's what you have to do going forward. You don't look at somebody and think, well, because they're moody or they were a mess about this last week, I can't have an honest or direct conversation about them and revisit that issue and unpack it this week and that they can't do the same for you or shouldn't or haven't done the same for you. But yeah, the two people you broke up with, maybe you were so accommodating that they can't handle the loss of your emotional reserves. That seems a little, I would say I'm going to push back against that for you because we're in this long-term three or four minute relationship now. That seems a little narcissistic. You know, I'm sure your partners were upset about you breaking up with them. Nobody likes to be broken up with, I think they will find it as almost everybody who gets broken up with does. They will find the emotional reserves inside themselves or draw on support from other friends and family, and they will manage to get over you. Everybody thinks, everybody likes to tell themselves that they can't exit a relationship because this person would be too devastated. And that's just not true. The world is full of people who were briefly devastated, but not too devastated to pull their shit back together and get on with it and find new partners or find happiness alone. And I think that's what your exes will do as almost all people's exes do do. All right, before we get to this week's listener response calls, let's check in on the comments on last week's show at savage.love. Says Sally, comment for the caller who wants help figuring out if she should leave her partner to try and have a baby with someone else. I was in this position at age 35 and left the guy I love to give myself an opportunity to meet someone who wanted to have kids with me. Well, I didn't meet the right guy and I do not regret it because giving myself the opportunity was the right choice. Now I'm with a divorced dad of two kids and I'm very happy. Says Rachel for the same caller, I would also suggest freezing her eggs as it would buy her time and give her a little breathing room. Egg freezing isn't a for sure deal either, but neither is fertility or pregnancy. I found myself in a similar position at age 35 and I wish I had frozen my eggs then. I'm currently 41 and pursuing solo parenting, which is a route I'm glad you mentioned in your response, Dan. And finally, EAP says, suggestion for the guy and his girlfriend who doesn't want people to hear them having sex. Try confronting it head on in a context where the whole point is to be seen and heard, like a swingers club or a sex party. You can have sex only with each other in a setting where people will consensually and happily watch and listen. It might be the most fun and liberating thing you've ever done. Or, hear me out, it could be the most mortifying and depressing thing you've ever done too. Public sex is not for everybody. And I'm guessing the Venn diagram of people who don't want to be heard having sex and people who don't want to be looked at while they're having sex doesn't look like the mouse ears on a Disneyland hat. More like a single circle. But you can always go to a sex party or swingers club just to observe, just to watch and listen. Might help the caller's girlfriend get over it. Or she might wind up seeing and hearing things she can't unsee and can't unhear and wind up joining a convent and taking a vow of silence. All right. Thanks to everyone who commented on the show this week at savage.love. We read all your comments. We love them. Please keep them coming. And thanks to everyone who posted about the show to your own social media accounts this week. We so appreciate the way Savage Love listeners help spread the word about the love cast. And now something else we really appreciate your response calls. I'm calling response to the caller who was wanting to know if she should leave her boyfriend because she wants to have a baby. I was in a super similar situation, so I can say with life experience that she absolutely should. Best case scenario, and she sticks with him, that sacrifice she made is going to be like poison at the root of their relationship. And my OBGYN told me when I got pregnant at 38 that... It was totally normal now, and I am so happy I have my kid. You can do it, lady. Just go out there and have the courage. 
to the woman who really wants to have a baby and continue seeing her partner, seems like the obvious compromise here is for you to get inseminated and for the two of you to continue your relationship, giving you the chance to become the mother you always wanted to be and freeing him of the long-term responsibility that he's not feeling able to make right now, but also giving your relationship more time to continue seeing what you guys can create and where it will go. Hey, Dan, this is a response call to the woman in episode 856, whose partner was obsessed with her belly. I would just encourage her to listen back to her own call. She did a beautiful job of using her words and honoring her partner, and she didn't like throw him under the bus or anything, and she wasn't overly harsh. She just communicated her needs and her feelings in a very reasonable way. And I think she could literally say those same exact words to her partner and anyone who is a reasonable person and a loving person, if they want to be in that relationship, would completely understand where she was coming from and they could have a really good discussion about it. So I think just use your words and you're, you've you're already got a great template for that. And it was your call to the Savage Lovecast. And we're going to leave it there. Got a question for next week's Lovecast or something to say about something I said on this week's Lovecast? You can go to savage.love slash askdan to record your question or your comment right now. Or you can use the voice memo app on your phone and email your question or comment to q at savage.love. Or you can leave us a message at 206-302-2064. Toronto, Norlands, Columbus, Bend, and New York, Hump, the world's best little porn short film festival, is coming to you. Go to humpfilmfest.com right now to get tickets. And to my listeners in Europe, Hump is coming. Go to humpfilmfest.com slash Europe for tickets to Hump's upcoming screenings in Vienna, Brussels, Zurich, Berlin, and Munich. March was a goodies-packed month for my Magnum subs. I hosted an AMA. I hosted a Savage Love Live. Magnum subs also got access to extra-long Maxi Savage Love columns, our bonus podcast, Sex and Politics, and my weekly struggle session where I highlight and respond to listener and reader comments. You can experiment with Magnum subbing for just eight bucks for one month, or you can jump in with both feet and spend 40 bucks on a whole year, which is less expensive than the cheapest Substack out there and comes with so much more. Go to savage.love slash subscribe to get in on the fun. Follow me on Instagram and now Spottable. I think I'm on Spottable at Dan Savage and I'm on Post News and still on Twitter at Fake Dan Savage. And follow Jessica Steinrock on Instagram and TikTok at Intimacy underscore Coordinator underscore. The Savage Lovecast is produced every week by Nancy Hartunian and me and the tech savvy at risk youth and Nancy. We will all be back at you next week with another installment of the Savage Lovecast. Thank you for downloading. Mm-hmm.